Hey, John. Hey, Marcy. How are you doing? You know, as we sit here patiently watching CNN, MSNBC, or whatever we watch, you know, it's, it is what it is. You can almost say that in most states, mine excluded, we are the Yours kingmakers. excluded, yes. We are the kingmakers. Um, hello, everyone, and welcome to a new episode, new season of Pop Culture Theologians. Uh, my name's Marcy, and I'm with my fellow pop culture theologian, John. And John, do we have a surprise today? We always have surprises, just so new listeners know, because you never know what you're going to get to. But we have like a really big surprise today. I'm very excited about this. We have someone who many of you who have listened to the pod before know, one person that we love, but one person that is probably going to gang up with Marcy on me throughout most of the season, <laughs> Anjanette. Hey, Anjanette. Dear Hello. friend of the pod. <laughs> How are you? I'm fantastic. How are you all? So we're doing good. And for those of you like who have listened to previous seasons of The Crown, you know that Ange is legit one of the foremost royal scholars in pop culture theologian like history. Granted, there's only three of us, but like she is the foremost. She takes knows her shit. She takes oh, the she, really she takes the crown. She I, takes the crown. You know, is, are I, we still I in House of Dragon World? Is this a blacks versus greens thing? I mean, what side are you on? Because it sounds like you're on the green side when it comes to the season, John. I I think I'm definitely uh, on that side. <laughs> All I know You're... is winter is coming in this season, and wow, Ooh. that's really apt, isn't it? Yeah. Um, so for everyone joining, uh, season five of The Crown is covering a time period known as the Annus Horribilis, right? Uh, this horrible year that the Queen had, and we're gonna walk through it through ten episodes. Um, and kind of get a sense for this this time timestamp of the royal family. One of the first seasons where, at least for our generation, we are three elder millennials on with our AARP cards. Um, we lived through this this time, right? We have actual memories of this time, which means we have a really different relationship with the source material than we've had for previous seasons. Um, and Jeanette, you and I were talking about this. Like, talk to me a little bit what it feels like to finally be in our years. It's, you know, it's surreal because there's moments where they have gotten the clothing, the styling um, so perfectly matched that it brings up the moments of picking up a People magazine and seeing those pictures of Diana and, and Charles out and about or Diana taking the kids wearing her famous sweatshirt and biker shorts and then there's moments where I'm utterly devastated because they don't get it right. Um, whoa, whoa, whoa. We haven't started the episode yet, <laughs> Anjanette. But I'm just saying, like, that for me, that's 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 my experience, is that I am... Spoiler, they don't get Spoiler, right. right. I'm, I'm constantly in this um, push and pull of... I, I'm very, very, very tied to protecting... Um, Diana because she is the people's princess she was my princess she is my princess she's your mom's princess your grandmother's princess um, can you can you both talk about because this is something yeah. we've talked about before about how within the Latinx culture what the role the royal family is 
played, but specifically Diana for many of you and your families and what that all means? Because I think that's a really important point that you've both hit on many times. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So um, I'm Colombian. We've talked about that before. I grew up with like my family, like my aunts all getting Hello Magazine, Hola, right? And like it being- Hola full of like these amazing spreads on the royal family right like everything from like a day inside of like their castles to like these fashion spreads and it's interesting right because like as a colonized people <laughs> like we should really reject this but we don't right we don't because there's something about the pomp the circumstance the ritual right which like it's it's funny, but it goes along with this Latino culture, particularly I would say my mom's era, right? That it's it's very similar to the Catholicism that we live out day to day, right? It's just these like very reliable rituals. And then when you talk about Diana, right? Um, Diana was fundamentally this aspirational princess that it was like, I mean, it wasn't, but like, it's like, oh, she's one of us. She was like a kid like literally a kid, like a child bride who was picked up. Right. And she, she wears high street and, and, and designer and some low street for lack of a better term. She was extremely relatable. Um, and also, and with Latinos, like there's nothing we like more than a heartbreak story. My God, we love a fairy tale, but we love a heartbreak. Why? Cause we hold grudges forever. So like Diana is kind of this cornerstone of like, we don't forgive shit. And like my, like my entire family will say like Mars will nurse a grudge the way most people like nurse their houseplants. Like I will carry it forever, forever. Um, and then I would say that the last little piece and Ange, you can, you can jump in here is, you know, Diana changed the game when it came to talking about social good, right. In a way that the Royal family has never been able to catch up. Right. So like as a kid of the nineties, right. Coming out of the, like being born right around like the height of the AIDS crisis, like Diana changed the path forward for, for queer folks, for allies and for discussing the power of like who you are in a moment. And like, I think that really has an impact on us generationally. So. Yeah. I, I think you, I highlighted um, something where I'm, I'm churning with coining Diana as the poster of the social justice generation that we are. Um, like we are a generation of spiritual but not religious. We're the nunners. We're, um, yeah. we're the ones that are are leaving the pulpits and the church pews because we were given the social justice gospel and to feed the neighbor, to help the hungry, to um, do all the things that we were seeing was lacking in the world. And, and to Diana, create our own spaces. And to create our own spaces. And, and Princess Diana is that. She created we- the spaces. Um, and she broke down barriers. She made the path for all of us social justice nunners to say, this is how you do it. And you do it unapologetically and you always do it. And I think for our generation and the generation before us, that's that's who she is. She We have so many memories of her holding children, of walking the minefields, and then her being utterly crushed by the royal family. And we are the generation that also doesn't forget and doesn't forgive in very many ways also. Um, And for my personal, like, I have an opposite experience with hers because my love of Diana comes from my my father's side 
which are Canadians. And so it's this like, we fiercely love Diana, but we also don't really like the monarchy because of colonialization yeah. and being Irish Canadian. And so we like down the monarchy, but also protect Princess um, Diana and by proxy protect Prince Harry at all costs. Yeah, Diana's the original. She's in bar- she's invited to the asada. She's invited to the barbecue. Yep. yep. She is that and, and she would come. Oh, 100%. Yeah. The OG. So, I think we dive into these two episodes and really talk it through. Um just like honestly, I've waited so long for this season that it was no. surreal when it was midnight and I was like, "Oh man, I'm not leaving my room." I'm in my room for the next like 10 hours which I didn't I was texting Anjanette for like a solid 10 hours where I was just like what is happening um so I and, say we this and it's really important to know I'm only on episode three and Anjanette and Marcy I've watched the whole season so no I'm actually only on um episode five I got to the episode five and I needed a break because it's it's becoming a Charles Camilla show and I oh boy it. well that's a, um, that's the next episode <laughs> Yeah, I was all like, I, I needed a break. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, and I'm the only one with mental illness, babe. So I went through it like solid. <laughs> barely, barely got up. I was about to astronaut it with a diaper, to be honest. So, all right, let's talk about the first episode of season five, Queen Victoria Syndrome. All right, and... Break down the title for me, because I think it's actually like a really apt first title for a season, which you just said, and I agree, is a bit of a apologetics fever dream for a not so beloved son. Right. So the Queen's Victoria Syndrome, which is interesting because I don't I tried looking like if this was an actual term used in the, the newspaper or if this was a term created for the, the show. and. What I found was that it is a title created for the show, um, that there was no newspaper that coined this Queen Victoria syndrome. Um, But it harkens to the fact that um, it means the residing peoples are questioning their long serving monarch, if they're relevant, if they're um, able to reign and maybe they needed to abdicate. And so Queen Victoria we know it was the longest um, reigning monarch before Queen Elizabeth II. She reigned for 67 years. Um, and many people wanted her to abdicate for her son, Prince Albert. Or Andrew, I don't even remember. I think it was Prince Albert. Um, and she didn't. She held on to those reigns until she died. And then he was able to, you know, ascend the throne. And so they're using that connection of Queen Victoria to Queen Elizabeth because she's entering into her 40 year reign and there's some grumbling that she's not relevant anymore, that she's archaic, that she's out of touch, that she's old and that she needs to abdicate for her son who in the show, they present that the crowd and the people see Charles as this fresh, young, modern, um, what was the other terms they used? Um, modern, relevant, empathetic, and energetic. And I about spilled um, what I was drinking at the time. 
um, because I was like empathetic. I've never heard Charles been de- um, described as that, but okay, let's. Go I've heard there. the words asshole be used, <laughs> right? <laughs> I'm all like, um, and energetic. My God, have you seen his sausage roll fingers now? Like, what are we talking about here? And and this is okay. So I'm just gonna pop in for a second to say, like, I do agree with the both of you, um, on and House Black, um, who are saying to the fact that like there is no connection to the last season. That's the one thing. That this first episode just brought me especially within like the first 10 minutes because this queen does not feel like the other queens like olivia coleman amelda staunton is great love her but especially in that last scene in episode 10 of season four when olivia coleman and then prince charles young prince charles he's pretty sexy too like she scolds him and essentially, like, says, you ain't getting on this throne until I'm dead and buried. And now here we are. And it's like, wait, what? It's so confusing. Well, yeah. And I think I w- that plays with, like, Queen Victoria's, like, hearkening to Queen Victoria's reign. And, um, but I also find that there's a gender component here is, like, you never like, hear that in regards to longstanding male monarchs that it's this Queen Victoria syndrome and it's the Queen Victoria reign and the Queen Elizabeth reign, but you don't have that in regards to a male monarch having been on the throne for, but maybe that's because they don't usually survive that long. No, they don't. Not really. <laughs> um, and I think like, it's interesting because we start off right with Claire Foy making a, a guest appearance, right? Uh, and we so love amazing. Her. We love right. We, her. we love her. The world loves her as this young queen, right? Which we've been sitting with the last couple months as we reminisce about the life of this monarch, right? And then you juxtapose that, right? With this, like, I would call that a pre pre-scene to the first scene really with uh Imelda Santen also Dolores Umbl- Dolores Umbridge which we're going to get into because I think it's a problem but we we start off with this juxtaposition of this young vibrant fully embodied Elizabeth that we know right even the tension in her mouth right when she speaks we know and it's like very much both a studied character trait of the queen and something that that Claire Foy and um Oh my God, Olivia Coleman really nails, right? And then we have this overarching uh, camera shot of this new queen, right? Uh, laying down, she's being examined, which like, Ange texted me like, oh, man. man, imagine being the, the queen's doctor. And I'm like, no, thank you. No, thank also, you. Like, I couldn't, I couldn't imagine having that responsibility. Yeah. Or yeah, like yeah, if yeah. you find something and then you have to tell the queen like, oh, oh I'm sorry, right? mom. Or, like, <laughs> we walk into a conversation about her weight. Right. And like, it's really uncomfortable because like, she's like, I don't get it. I'm not eating differently. And it's like for, for Royal folks who know some of the really stupid information about the queen girl eats, she eats, she has drinks three times a day, three times a day. Right. Yeah. Her body's not keeping up with it, but imagine being the man tasked with telling her that. Right. Um, but I will but say I the structure. Go for it. No, go, um, I was like, I think it also plays into that they're really trying to show that this is the geriatric queen. Like she's a right. And Which so like she's is not hard. losing the weight. And I'm all like, girl, she, I was like, are you kidding me? This woman would have probably gone on to 110. Right. Um, we like, should all aspire to her health. In the 1990s, she was running laps around people. Don't you tell me that she was already geriatric? She was riding horses two weeks before she died. I know. Like, I I know. That's, it, they just, 
really like with this whole like disposition of the queen being who she is it's like i don't know i I think they purposely are setting it up i mean it's really the way they did it in season three when it goes from um claire foy to olivia coleman is subtle it's unique i think there's like an an ode of like beauty to it with this one they're like oh her doctor's looking over her heart and she's like hey lady you gotta cut back on those pot pies yeah look i'm gonna say the quiet part all out deal i think what we're watching is almost like a reflective walk back on the power of the queen that we've known for four seasons in light of the fact that we have a king now a king that Morgan has been very sympathetic towards from the beginning, right? Yeah. And it's and sympathetic apologetic. And, it's a, it's yeah, it's apologetic. A, that is the quiet part. It this feels like a rewriting not only of history but of the the kind of like stakes that the show had already claimed, right? So so when we think of like what is the motivation to almost like dehumanize and take everything we knew out of this embodiment of the queen so that what we're left with is like this old kind of set aside character that has no power anymore right that has no kind of like stakes other than like it feels like comfort we don't see her do anything in this season right but these two first episodes we don't see her do anything of note uh particularly of like pleading her case to get her ship right Right. And let's talk about that. Cause like, I think that's, that's important. So this episode leans heavily on a discussion about the Britannia, right? We have Johnny Miller's character, which like is totally misused because we're very used to kind of this pull and, and tug this tension of the political landscape having its own narrative side by side with the crown. Whereas here he just shows up occasionally to, to remind us that the queen loves both her comfort her shit right so like when we get to the third episode she wants her shit back she loves her her comfort and she is very much attached to fundamentally what is a a boat right and she claims it's like her her favorite palace and it, it represents her and her independence um the britannia is like a source of tension in the uk like a very expensive like Right, Ange? Like, yeah. So, and it's also important to note, like John Major, the Prime Minister that Johnny Lee um, Miller is um, playing, is still alive, and so he's even come up and said some things about like the betrayal or what he said or how he's viewed some things. But the Britannia is used in this show as almost like an archaic example of what Queen Elizabeth II stands for. And that she is no longer relevant, no longer needed, and is just a waste on the people's money. Almost I, like she's a metaphor for a sinking ship. Yes, and that the the person that is trying to sink the ship is Charles. He doesn't right, want so- it anymore. He doesn't need it. Um, he wants something that his and it's it's very painful. <laughs> we get a lot of little scheming in this season, yeah. right? So we get like Charles scheming. Like, fundamentally, and what I feel is a 2022 narrative, right? So, like, we don't have a historical context for Charles scheming to overthrow his mother, right? And uh, if there's anything we've learned in the last five years is that we would know if it had happened because leaks out of 
Clarence House, Kensington Palace are every day. Well, and in the 90s, like their phones were tapped. Right. And everything was being aired from 1992 to 1996. So if he was arranging things, it would have been known and been aired out. 100%. So this is where it feels like a disconnect because I don't, I clearly don't have a remembrance of any form of abdication or anyone in the 90s or even in the early 2000s saying that the queen needed to abdicate because she was so active. She was so involved in everyday life that I don't think it was even considered a possibility. And then with the whole things that were happening with Fergie and and Andrew and Anne and Mark and then Charles and Diana and Camilla, like the queen was the the stability of the nation. Yep. And, and everyone so looked feels- to her to be that stability. Yes. That's yes. the thing that they get it's wrong. It's why the betrayal, right, when she just refused to speak for yes. like a solid like week almost after Diana was so was felt so deeply because it was like, here's this woman who has been through hell and back with us, who has decided to prioritize her own, probably, I wouldn't say it was disdain of Diana. I would say it was just the discomfort in not even being able to grasp the magnitude of not only the the depth of sorrow, but the importance of Diana, right? And And so that's- Yeah, and realizing how much that they actually did need her. Um, Right. Right. And, Which yeah. is said in, in this first episode there when Charles yes. is scheming, right? He finds out that it's $15 million to repair this boat. He's like, man, he's talking with his, his press secretary. They are tipping off newspapers like, hey, it's gonna be $15 million. Like this is so like out of touch and everything. Um, and then there's also the very closely following that, like the push for him and Diana to go on the second honeymoon. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's all these like chess pieces moving. And then when they do take this, I'm using air quotes, y'all second honeymoon, right. The Sunday times article hits the press and it's like vicious, right. Saying the queen needs to abdicate like in favor of Charles, like that to a certain extent, like, this is a sign of the times and like, look at Diana and Charles. And like, when he was having the conversation with his press secretary, he's like, you know, what, what you offer goes hand in hand with what the people want out of having Diana as queen. Right. And it's funny because Charles takes it on the chin. He's like, yeah, no, of course, Diana is like a huge asset. And I'm like, there's no version of Charles that ever thought Diana was an asset. 100%. Right, not even strategically. Right, 100%. I'm not even saying like from a place of his heart, being like, yes, the people want her as queen. He didn't even strategically know how to milk that. Right, he couldn't. He couldn't stomach the idea that this woman, right, in her own right, with her own magic, and the and that the I'm going to say this, and I think Ange, you can agree and, and chime in here. There's something that Charles has really struggled with, I think, his entire life. And actually came to the front this week. And you and I talked about this. <laughs> he could not make sense of how gowns and jewels were the driving factor and beauty of the the, the monarchy, right? For right. him, it's like the tradition and he is ordained by God. And like he is the only man who speaks proper English in all of like the British kingdom. And like, I think he spent his whole life up against like, Actually, they 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 just want the glamour. Like and you have to is, keep the yeah, glamour. You have to keep the, the glamour part, lights on. That's the part that Diana knew so well because remember the '90s were like this nouveau riche, mm-hmm. middle class becoming 
upper class. Versace. Money, yeah, Versace. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and people really identifying with designers. We forget that the designer culture started to take over. Yes. This, yep. this rise in LGBTQ issues in a way yes. where they were fashionable and fun. And Diana, like the queen, being this stable force, put her finger on the pulse of the things that people read in the magazines, like we talked about, right. saw on the news, and they automatically were like, she is the one. She understood that. And I think... She was the original slay. She, she is. Was. The she original was. slay. Well, and we have I, to also remember that the 90s, this is the advent of... I mean, Charles and Diana's wedding was the first live-streamed global event on TV. And so the 90s, everyone is consuming immediately yeah. the things that the royal family are doing. And this is unprecedented in the history of the royal family. That it would take, Y'all, you know, I own her sweaters. I right, have three like, of her iconic sweaters that I paid up, like upwards of anything I've ever paid for. Because to me, it was like holding a piece of history. I mean, I have a, a replica of her Spencer crown. So it, it's Same. it's one of those that this is why it matters with where they were going, the second honeymoon and Charles arranging for, you know, the paparazzi to take pictures of their family vacation. I think that's one of the only things that that um, episode really honed in on is how calculated their public relationship was um, by the royal family and that everything was staged in ways to present this perfect family, this fairy tale love affair gone, you know, royal and um, they're going to lead the country and lead the world in this perfect family. And the only one that's not invested in this and is not willing to go all the way is Charles. Well, and, and do you mind like, do you mind touching on the scene with the the shopping dialogue on the boat? Oh my gosh! The Charles kind of proclamation on fashion that happened this week. Yeah. So, um, in the episode when they're all on a very expensive private yacht, um, Charles has a, all of he's invited all of his um, a cousin um, of the family who's a godson to Princess to Prince Philip and their children and. William and Harry are on board and a couple other people, all the staff, and they're all at dinner. And Charles is going over the itinerary of this two week vacation. And it's all of this like stiff upper um, historical. I mean, it sounded great because as a religious scholar and a, a history nerd, I'm like, oh, yeah, that would be fun. But like you have kids on this trip, like that's not going to be the only thing that you should do. And Diana pipes in saying, you know, what about. Um, beaches and Charles, you know, it's almost an interesting, oh, they're, they're getting along. And he's like, of course there's going to be many beaches. And then she says, what about water sports? Because she knows that boys would want that. And he says, yes, lots of noisy water sports. And then she pipes in saying, what about shopping? And it stops Charles in his tracks. And he, he gets so offended that a vacation would have shopping. And he chastises her in front of. Well, he everyone. makes everyone vote, right? Like he's yeah. like, "Who wants to shop?" Right? But it's a, it's is... a chastisement. It's a voting 100%. by chastisement of saying like Diana is so frivolous, so yep. no one 
better um, agree to it if you're still the wanting to be in my good graces. The fact that he can't see his agency and power in that moment, we're like, babes, no one's going to vote yes with the King of England daring them to. Right. And then right? the only one to say yes is, which I, I almost Agreed. burst into tears, was, was Harry. And he I says, know. I'll go with her. And then Will um, says, I'll go too. And then Charles has to um, acquiesce yes. because... His sons, you know, have stood him up. And 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 then afterwards, you know, there's a scene, too, which we have to talk about of, of Diana thanking Harry for standing up for her and how it was so brave. And we and know she that gets that's, a Game Boy and then they get um, a reward. And that we know is very true because Harry has been very vocal about um, and will also and about um, how they learned how to protect their mother. Um, and they knew very early on that things were not right between their parents. But this scene feels so, so relevant and timely. Like it could not have paired better with no. the, um, this um, airing of this episode because just this week, Charles and Camilla, um, I will <laughs> not call them queen and queen. That will not come out of my mouth at all. It's Charles and Camilla, hashtag not my king, um, is they go to unveil a statue of queen elizabeth ii which is a horrendous statue god we can always we can talk about also the decision of making her old in that statue which is relevant to this episode it feels spiteful it's spiteful and it it goes against everything we know about who she was as a monarch um and while they're getting into the um event they get pelted by eggs by a person that says um, that the monarchy is encouraging slavery. Um, that it was built on and built on slavery. Yeah. The legacy of slavery, which um, a pop culture theologian toast to the egg thrower. We um, we support you. That's right. Um, and it is. It, um, colonialism and imperialism is made on the backs of black of and brown and yellow and um, folks. I'm in death. And women, period, hand strapped. Um, we can just say that, like, monarchy, imperialism, colonialism is is just the kind of final end of abuse of power, right? right. Like, yep. it, it only brings death and it only brings, in its most nefarious forms, uh, like, white supremacy in ways that, like, uh, speaking of apologetics, that do apologetics for it, right? Like. Yeah. It's so dark. Uh, so again, and then cheers. also, right, which is also apt because we're coming. You know, we're just celebrating the week of um, honoring veterans and World War Two and World War One, um, Armistice Day and, and Victory in Europe Day, and these events in England are usually one of the number one most looked at um, events for um, Duchess Kate. Or excuse me, the new Princess of Wales. Um, the Kate, new Princess of Wales. Um, which I, I still um, can't really get my head around that. But oh well. Um, and she's always gorgeously dressed in all of her Remembrance Day events. She shows up and they're really, really big. Well, on the eve of these events, the um, royal firm has announced that no longer will news reporting on what Kate is wearing, who she's yep. wearing, um, 
they will not focus on any of that in any of the engagements going further. And when I tell you, I follow at least seven different social media accounts across different platforms that sole purpose is to look and comment and digest the clothing of the royals. This is so out of touch. It's of- so pe- it's petty, right? And like yes, it has because no one pe- talks about Charles's outfits, and no one really talks about Camilla's outfits because they're horrible. Well, and William wears the same suit every right. every fucking event. But like, I think on an economic scale, right? Like, so Kate, Megan, right, Diana mm. have brought in billions, billions in revenue for uh for british fashion right and or just it worldwide is a, fashion for worldwide fashion right yeah. it is a it is a major economic plus to have these women who fundamentally aren't doing much right be this economic driver for not only fashion but for lifting up right this idea of of clothes and adornment and what it says about folks right um so and that it matters and that they're human i mean if you even remember like princess diana and elton john attended gianni versace's funeral and it was a fundamental shift because gianni versace was an openly gay man at a time where that was not accepted and for her to publicly come as the princess of wales she she had already been divorced so she's no longer um hrh but she is still the Princess of Wales. Right. And so fashion for the royals is their way through modernity, period. It really, that is such a good way to put it, Ange. It really is. Like, it really, really is. And we're watching this conversation, right, where Charles is like, who the fuck wants to go shopping? And then we have this modern announcement of like, no longer are we going to highlight Kate's clothes. And and the the logical question is why? What? Like, why? Like, what is it? How does it affect you? We know it's an an economic plus, and we really have to sit with like, oh wow, like egos so so fragile, right? And I will say, I think it's Charles and William because William's been doing a lot of events on his own, which makes me think he is trying to up his social presence, right? So like, you're gonna take the one thing that we want, right? So like, I have been openly critical of, and y'all, I get this as someone who does anti-colonialism work and, and racial equity work. Uh, I understand how obnoxious this sounds, but like, I'm here to see tiaras. As long as you exist, <laughs> right? And I can't erase you from this planet. Give me some sparkle. Give it the old razzle-dazzle, right? Well, and I mean, in British- men's fashion, they can show up and blow us all yes. away. Yes, but here's they, the British family has taken the last 10 years, I would say in particular, um, definitely not during Diana's time, but during this modern era of like no tiaras, no formal events, no pictures of state banquets, no anything that makes us feel so rich that like people will be like, man, they're rich. And I think it's a massive misread of the room. Like, hey, we know you're rich. We also know you have the largest hoard of jewels in the world, right? Like in the all world. stolen, which were all which stolen. Were all and stolen. can I can I say that that's why? Okay, we're not there yet. It'll be our next episode, listeners. But like with Moo Moo, my favorite line about like <laughs> religious British history, and my favorite thing that my like history professor said is that you know the best part about London is they took everything from around the world and put it in one nice little museum. Is that yes. when Moo Moo fixes up the place <laughs> where? Uh, the Duchess and Duke and, uh, yes. and Duchess of Windsor yes. lived. And then they all, thinking that, like, they'll come, and then they all come and just take all those things and leave. I was like, that is such an 
apt thing for colonizers are going to England. colonize 100 percent. but here's the here's the thing that like i observationally i'm like you know the the want to scale back the image of it's not wealth, right? It's it's the pomp and circumstances. They read it as wealth. Oh, they'll think we're more like them if they never see our, our stuff, right? And it's like, no, we know you have it. And we have examples of other royal families who have understood the moment, right? So they have literally given back like state powers, right? They literally only exist almost as a ceremonial thing. And they walk out every piece of jewelry because it's a piece of history that they use in this modern context. It belongs to the state, right? Like, I think it's a massive misread, but I found this entire opening with the shopping thing, with the news that came out this week, really, really interesting. And I just also want to add on to the fact that also during this time, you all mentioned some really important points, but we also have the HIV AIDS crisis still yes. raging through the world and it's going unattended. Hence Diana's trip in the last season to that hospital in New, New York, yeah. right? And then, but then we also have gay rights clashing, this modernity, and we also have this push and pull with, I think, uh, not only rights globally, but women and mm -hmm. minority cultures and, and peoples are rising up at a way where they're becoming the points where they are in the later years. And so when we think about Diana saying, I want to go shopping, you can read it as coded language for, I want to go kiki with my gay friends because right. girls just want to have going. fundamental exactly. rights. Exactly. But it's also, I think she also knew what she meant to, like you bring up, you know, what was happening globally. Women are going into the workforce by droves in the 90s, and they are going dressed as Diana. They are taking their yep. business cues from what Diana is wearing. They're going to Macy's. They're going to Gotchaks and Mervins and, and Sears, and they're seeing what can they wear that looks similar to Diana. So she also knows when she's going shopping, she is the example for other women out there and other gay people and other people that are just trying to exist in a world that's telling them you're not meant to exist. Well, and let's take that further to like the scene after the shopping scene, right? Um, is Anne, Princess Anne, unrecognizable, oh right? I honest to Who God. are these you. actors? Like for the right. love of God. This is Claudia Harrison. No hate to her. It's just, I wouldn't recognize you on the street. Like, you could not tell me that was Anne. I thought maybe it was a really bad casting of Margaret. But this connects to Diana and Can women we talk about her. Margaret? I mean, for the love of God, can oh we my put God. a oh, no. little See, bit of effort on, into these on. casting decisions? One second, John, because like <laughs> I, I will go hard for Leslie Manville. But I just want to tie in that Princess Anne in this next scene, which is every scene with Anne is a throwaway scene. They don't matter. But this is good up against the Diana stuff where she's like, I am not happy in my marriage and I want to get a divorce. And we have this moment where like you almost get a sense that like times are changing because Elizabeth's kind of like, OK, I guess like not, I guess, to so the divorce. But there's like an acceptance of this changing tides of modernity where like she doesn't get to Margaret Anne. She doesn't get to tell Anne, suck it up. Right. I don't care. Right. It's she, there's this like very real shift in the winds with Anne when she's like I am I'm getting a divorce and also like I'm gonna fall in love again and like we know from the previous seasons that that is a massive shift in tide but also like a, a shift for the women of the royal family which we'll get into when we actually do have scenes with Margaret um Leslie Manville who I love 
who's incredible in Miss Harris Goes to Paris, if you've never seen it. She's incredible oh, in everything fantastic. she's in. Yeah. Um, but this throwaway scene, I think, is meant to show us that Elizabeth is not unaware that things are changing, that modernity is here, that the 90s, which, like, I know for Gen Z, the 90s are, like, a relic of time. But the 90s, for those of us that are elder millennials, was this <laughs> time of full promise, right? Like, yeah. the internet was coming. And... Like, again, we were going to the workforce in droves. We were starting to have some queer rights in, in the modern stage of, of we're going to push for acceptance. We're going to push for uh, a different world, right? And and Anne is honestly paving the way uh, for even Diana's divorce. But then she's right? like it's, trolling it's, for Dick in a lighthouse. Like, let's be yeah, real. Here. Yeah, like, like what it's a diminishing. That? It's also a diminishing. If we're playing this theme that this season is an apologetic to Charles and a lifting it really up is. because it is a glow up of Charles because Dominic West ain't no Charles man and all you have to say is glow up because they like, added it is a glow up two because feet. this man has muscle mass the way that Prince Charles in the 90s did not have at his all arm and um his hairline like, hair his jaw anything and so if we play that, then we also have to understand that the other components and players around Charles have to be 100% diminished, which I read as why the queen mom is not the jolly round crumpet that she was because she was an amazing little round pulley um smiley woman till the day she died. And in this show, she's this string bean pole that is unrecognizable and with then no you opinions. have with no opinion you have um a horrible in, trying a dude bro frat boy prince andrew which is probably par for the course now where we are with andrew um but anne is significantly reduced and almost demonized or or masculinized in a way no. what oh um that in a way that diminishes the power and presence that she was and is, she is a stalwart for this family um, that has been steady for what the last 30 plus years, I would say since Diana passed, it's been Prince Anne that has tried to, and then Edward has, and his wife, um, Sophie have really tried to fill the gaps so they have to diminish her to keep up this presence of uplifting Charles. And so they make it all seem that her only now focus is to, as John says, trolling for Dick at the White House. I mean, is this whole season just going to be like, is this whole show for yes. the next season just going to be like a Charles circle yes. jerk? Yes. yes. It only gets worse from here. It is. That's why I had to pause with episode five. I couldn't handle it anymore. It's, it is an oh, astonishing God. change of, of narrative. And also like, it just flies in the face of our eyeballs, right? Like it's just our eyeballs, man. Like it's, it's not there. It doesn't work. Um, and here, this next scene in this episode is par for the course, right? We've got Charles with the prime minister, he gives this really long fucking monologue, right, on uh, comfort and, and the family and its kind of abysmal presence in the modern world and how it's time for his mother to step aside uh, so he can he can take the reins, right? And, and Major doesn't really react to this, right? And, like, we've got 
we've got kind of like a, a stalemate, but we've got this Charles that is so powerful and sure. And, and we are led to believe as the audience of the show has the ability to potentially move the needle on this when we know for a fact that the needle was like, we, I mean, we've got 50 years of jokes of like, like Elizabeth will literally become a zombie queen before she hands over this and she thing. almost did. <laughs> and like, right. Almost. And to, to imagine I mean, a world good for where her. She, Right. But to imagine a world where she sat there and let her son verbalize that it's treason. We we are in the 90s, but it is still treason to say it even. And it goes in against like what he was brought up to be the pillar of the monarchy, like questioning the stability of the monarch. Is it's a non sequitur. Yeah, no, for sure. And then we move on to the Gillies ball. At Balmoral, right? Which is just a hot mess. It's a hot mess of fashion. Can we also talk about how, like, they don't include, they, they you see um, Harry and Will, but you don't see Zara and um, Peter, which they would have been there. And you would have seen Beatrice. You wouldn't have seen Eugenie because she was only an, a year old at that time. But there's no other kids at that ball except Harry and Will. And that's not, that would not have been the case. Well, and I think that's intentional and we've seen it play out with like the Megxit narrative, right? That they're lone wolves by themselves. Yes. And yes. we know that not to be true. We know like Eugenie and her husband have visited Harry and Megan in Montecito, right? Like they, the idea that, that William and, and Harry, right, are the sole kind of future of the monarchy, I think is also kind of like a fever dream of like the heir, Right. And like, it's just, it doesn't serve the story. Like we know even the erasure of Fergie and Diana time together, which I'm really resentful of. Like they were such good friends and they were always having a good time in the press. And that was one of the other things that was so damning is that when they got together, you never knew what was going to happen because they were always big tricksters. They were always about a joke and a laugh. Um, And you don't get that at all. In no, this season. You not get a very all. morose, a very open-lipped Diana, which is in defiance of who we knew. Diana did not open her mouth about her the state of the marriage until well, 1990. We, we have it in this scene at the Gillies Ball, right? Where yes. you have the cameras spanning over what looks like turmoil in all the family members, right? But then Charles goes up to to major John and his wife the john majors and is like how do you think it's playing like what do you think do you think like right which again not gonna happen not a real like i can suspend belief i can't suspend belief that much and then we have diana right elizabeth debecky which we'll talk about when when she has more than like a couple scenes um after charles is kind of like oh man i i, I wonder if it's gonna happen she confesses against and i cannot suspend belief for this right but she confesses to to John Major, you know, I wouldn't put a lot of stock into Charles' ambition because, like, all of our marriages are crumbling in the next six months. Yeah, right. In, like, in public. In, in public. In public. Like to no, absolutely not. Like, like it's when literally they would not talk about anything public like that. Then all of a sudden, this just comes up. No, this hey, entire girl, season. Hey, sis. <laughs> this yeah. entire season is like a gossip girl season where everyone's just telling everyone the royal business and like we know that not to be true like we just know it not to be true we know that that's not how it worked right like diana had to literally sneak out cassettes from her 
Andrew Morton like interview, right? Because yeah. because of the fear of of retribution if she was caught speaking out of turn. Okay. Well, but can she was we also play who's gossip girl. Like, can we just play a quick theoretical? Charles. Charles, Charles. but I know Angela's gonna say come on. No, I, I it's both. It's both. I think it's both. Oh my god, Marcy took it from me. Like, like he is literally Dan and Gossip Girl when you're like, except you knew it all along. Yeah, no, he's Dan. And like I I think it's like really funny when you're, you know, 30. I was about to say 20 years removed, but it's 30. When you're 30 years removed, right? And you're like, my God, like all of these chess pieces that felt strategic in, in its time now just look really stupid. Right. Like you can just see the the implications of the ways in which, you know, Kensington Palace, uh, Clarence House, Buckingham Palace have fucked up time and time and time again. But the one way they didn't fuck up was this Gossip Girl scenario where everyone's vying to to share with with strangers. Charles has no reason to do any of what he's doing. Right. It Again, it is treason. And also it is just not within the character of Charles that we know on screen and we know in real life. Diana would never put herself in that position. It's well, so and, and it doesn't banana. show how she was hounded by the paparazzi to the point right. to where she would wear the same outfit when she would go out so that the press could not sell those photos. Right. And so, right. like, people don't understand, like, this, this the show, this season, does not bring that potency of how damning and damaging and powerful and dangerous. The popper, and dangerous the paparazzi were. That not only were you had these gossip rags that were literally tapping their phones with and using telelens to get secret photos in private properties of these royals and that was the the pressure of there was no privacy for diana and she was trying to maintain this public demand of from the public but also from the royal family because that was what she was signed on to do was create this image of a perfect family for the perfect heir for the next future king and queen because she would have been queen. She would not have been queen consort because she is of royal blood. And so she would have been queen Diana, not what we have now, um, but I digress. But say this it, season, say it, just say it. This season does not provide the potency of no. how the paparazzi was so evasive and so all-consuming, which does a disservice to why things become such a boiler head. And, totally and, they, and they focus on this farce of an abdication um, that doesn't hold water historically or that, you know, um, Philip and Elizabeth are these geriatric, out-of-touch old people that aren't meeting the need for modernity and um, are just these wrinkly old people. Right. And we, we, we close this episode, right. With like, um, with major telling how the old, the senior Royals are out of touch. Right. The junior Royals don't know what they have. And I think one of the most poignant verses that major says at the end of this episode is that Charles doesn't realize the asset that he has in Diana. Right, and it is utterly ruining. Um, which I want to say, 
having watched enough of um, Peter Morgan's work at this point, he's never hidden his dislike of Camilla, but he's also never hidden his disdain of Diana the human, not the asset, but the human, right? So like saying she's an asset strategically is still misogyny, right? Um, Which we saw her dehumanization, right, play out in front of our eyes. But I too was kind of really taken aback by like, do you know how many people must have told him that and how, how much he just refused to hear it. Right. Um, but I did want to say that I, I know at the beginning of this episode, I said, you know, it's, it's really a loss for the show to not have the political kind of storyline building parallel to the Royal story. But like, I would even have taken a, a season that pits the paparazzi against the Royals. Right. Like if you're not going to have the political kind of parallel line, I, there's a reason to bring in the news as like 100%. the villain and foil of the Royal family from here on out nineties to 2022. Right. Um, and they didn't, they made it pretty much the queen versus Charles, Diana versus Charles, but not even Diana versus Charles, but what Diana could have been versus Charles. And like, it is just, I think a massive loss for the show, um, which that kind of closes out that first episode. Um, and moves us like really smoothly into the second episode, the system, right? Um, which I'm going to lovingly call the throwaway Prince Philip Ugh. kind of storyline that we are just, asked to give shit about. And like, who is this cannot- character too? Like, who is this prince? Like, it's like, did they not think of any thoroughfare with this casting? No, or the or the the time and effort that it took in the previous seasons of actors really getting into the voice and the tone and the accent outside of Elizabeth Elizabeth Debicki, no one else has the tone and the no. accent right. Jonathan all. Price is a great actor. Don't get me wrong, but right. like he's excellent. Who is this person? But like I'm like is Mark. He's pl- yeah, he's playing Philip. Like Philip. I mean, my God, that man died at what the age ninety nine, and he was still trying to drive. Like the he way was that, rumored to have still had mistresses up until his 80s. I know. And they're playing this man like he's one foot into the grave and the other foot w- wears his walker. And soft. And if there is one word none of us would use for oh Philip, it's soft. Oh, my God. Right. He's playing it almost like Pope Francis, which I really like Jonathan Price in. Right. Um, but it, it's just, again, a lack of embodiment, a lack of study of the previous actors that played it, and a lack of study of the actual character Person, that, yeah. that they're supposed to be playing, right? Um, so this episode starts off with like a really, again, it, it's this is the first season that I've scrolled my phone during episodes. Like scrolled oh, and scrolled yeah. my phone and like I could I mean, not. I was texting be, you the whole entire time. Yeah, we were texting awesome. each other. I could not be brought to care about Philip, right? Um, but we've got philip having like this weird conversation with a reporter in it totally plays into the the old dude that doesn't understand accent that is <laughs> upset with foreigners and doesn't know modernity and plays it in how it used to be to where you could have multiple roles of an interview instead of it being a live broadcast right well and i like to compare this scene to the scene we have during their tour of africa where he is absolutely a total piece of shit Right. When he yeah. is like mocking the 
not the folks who are there and the Rhoda. And he's showing that he doesn't give a shit about like having the language down, even having a phrase down. But there is something about that version of Philip, Matt Smith, that like he was pompously an asshole. And arrogant. Right? Whereas, like that's, you yeah, see arrogant. Whereas this it. one, it's like, oh, what if, does he have Alzheimer's? Because you've got in the first episode where he's like, do you hear those noises? And it's like, you for a second think like, oh, he's hearing shit. It's actually the Britannia falling apart. But here, he it's like, oh, he can't hear the reporter, like grandpa. And it's like, no, that is not, like, the version of Philip that existed and the version of Philip that we know from Four Seasons was just uninterested in facilitating the interview with the Polish woman. Not that he could not hear her and didn't understand, right? Um, but this interview ends with Philip being informed that his godson's daughter, Leonora, died of cancer and we move into this storyline which i I can't i don't care and this is this is all a farce like there's no substance to any of this connection between philip um engaging in what could potentially be a, a love affair with the grieving mother of his godson um i'll say she was one of the 30 people so um a little piece but again, I'm not interested. Right. And so he goes and he's moved very, he's moved by the the death of um, the child. And um, I, I like to call her Queen Liz. Queen Liz says, go, go comfort your godson. That will be really, really helpful. But he chooses to go on a day that he, he didn't arrange to meet his godson, but he goes so that he could meet with the wife. And then they have this really strange interaction at the gravesite of Leonora, where he says, like, um, the one thing when I married Lilibet is that, the you know, the purpose of marriage and it, you you grow apart from each other, which seems so disconnected to what they're what they presented with Philip being like gung ho with preserving all these things or becoming more devoted to Liz and all this jazz. And then he gets. Well, and just to clarify, devoted doesn't mean not having affairs. Devoted means right. absolutely committed to to the crown, like to the crown and to who she is and the perception yeah. and and the sanctity of the public marriage. And we see that throughout the the course of the episode is that in Philip's mind, you do things to negotiate that commitment, yeah. and that could be finding um, hobbies finding things that bring you joy, finding people that bring you joy. We and in know this what episode, his hobby is. Right. And he goes, he has to leave behind Polo because he gets hurt too many times and he takes up carriage driving and he tries to Which get is so fucking weird. <laughs> it's John, it's you very don't think posh. we'd be really good carriage riders. I feel like we would be, I would be a great carriage rider. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was mean, like watching it and I'm like, man, we don't know shit about rich people. Like, what the fuck is this? What is this? Like, what are you talking about? Like, like old fashioned carriages. Like, and then my husband actually pointed out, he goes, you know, Lady Louise still does that. Like, that's her. Yeah, she does. And she drives the, the same, the, um, she got all of Prince Philip's carriages. Like that was one of her inheritance is that uh, um, Lady Louise, by the way, is Edward and Sophie's daughter. Um, so she was apparently Philip's favorite friend. Or one of yeah. them, yeah. Um, but yeah, he's gonna he's he's on this like both paternal and a fairish conversation with Penny, right? And 
and we are left watching these scenes, particularly the one by the um, the tomb, to your point, uh, Anjanette, where we're like, is he flirting or is he just grandpaing her? Like, this right. is weird. Right. Whereas the Philip, again, we know is 100% flirting, 100%. Right. If uh, they would have played him as the youthful man that he was at the time in the 90s, man, that man had game. Like, mm. Right. Um, so we jump from this, like, absolutely unnecessary uh, storyline, right? It's not like we have a story to tell about Diana and Charles. Let's just focus on everyone else. And I know that, like, I know folks are really loving Moo, which is episode three, and, and the Fayed story is being told. I feel really conflicted about it, like, because I'm like, we are here for the crown, for the crown, okay? Um, but we move on to this episode. Diana's at Kensington Palace, and her doctor who she had gossiped to previously about her marriage. Yeah. She, so she goes to a, a hospital visit and that's when we were introduced to um, her friend. Who's a doctor who Dr. is the Colbert. one that, um, yeah, who initiates um, or is contracted by Andrew Morton to start this potential of um, interviews for a book. But what I found really poignant about this introduction is when she does this visit there's nothing about the true diana in that depiction she's morose she's again loose lips talking about how it's horrible between her and charles she doesn't know what to do and it's like that's not how diana did these visits she was very very warm and welcoming and laughing and very human to um interacting with people but it's it it creates this thing of Seeds in bitterness. This yes, that like I cannot. I've watched on TikTok and on Twitter side by sides of the interviews, right? And like Diana, with all of that simmering rage she had, always managed to somehow present it and embody it from a place of both vulnerability, softness, and hurt. Whereas Debecky's yeah. portrayal, aside from being probably the foremost representative of neck acting, right? Um, is seething in bitterness. It's like she's been poisoned. And the Diana that we fell in love with in, in season four, which was, I mean, just an unreal performance by Emma Corwin, dies at the hands of DeBecky as a woman who is as spiteful and hysterical as Charles made her out to be. Right, and bitter and, um, and un- unapologetic. Unapologetic in showing her bitterness and her unhappiness and, and I was, and even to her not, children, even to her children. And, and it's, it's so in the face of um, how she was such a joyous, warm person when she's on these visits. Now, when she was at state um, official visits where she was in gowns and sitting next to Charles. Yeah. That's when you, we, the public started to see that the facade was slipping and the, this, icon that we had all put up was actually cracking but it was very very glimpsey it, it was never really um how they're presenting it as that she would it be wasn't willing to persona. talk to anyone it right. wasn't her full self right um and i think, I think like that is what takes me out every time i watch yes. her because like the voice is correct right even i even the neck acting a little bit would go a long way we don't need it every single scene right um eyebrow uh eyelid neck acting but it just is not the woman the world fell in love with and i don't think the world would have fallen in love with a diana who bitterly right and and 
venomously was like, I'm going to fucking take all of this down. Whereas the Diana that we love supported and we're all like, yup. Right. Who like Taylor Swift her way right to beloved status was like, this is what I got to do. And it sucks. And I'm brokenhearted and I got used and like, and I'm still standing y'all like, I'm like right. to quote Elton John, like I'm still standing, like I'm still here. Like you can't get rid of me, bitch. Right. It's well, and that's what she did. Like, she was like, yeah, if I can't if I can't find happiness and joy in my marriage because my husband refuses to show up in our marriage, then I'm going to to go full force into this other part of the agreement, which is I'm going to be the public figure. I'm going to make everyone else love me because my own husband doesn't love me. And Can she we did have that. a moment for the I'm going to make you love me or you're going to love me. We have some dream girls show up in this season. We have a performance where dream girls is sung. Right. And it's funny. Cause like, I think of Effie white, right. With like, I'm telling mm-hmm. you, I'm not going like you are going to love me is a very, very good choice. Right. By the, by the folks coordinating both the score and the soundtrack to say like, Hey, like we know characters and we love characters like Diana. And it felt transgressive in the face of Peter Morgan's script. Cause right. like and, the, it doesn't align. Well, and that's like the reason when, I mean, spoiler alert, when she dies in 97, spoiler the alert. world shatters. Cause because, we did love her. Because she was it. Yeah. No, hundred percent. It. And so Look, this season, Look, not talking, like not showing that is, yeah. is a deliberate um, reworking because we have, you know, Charles now ascended to the throne i will never say king <laughs> i will die on that hill and um realizing that his reign is utterly marred and because of the damage of season four like the amount of people that adamantly became charles and camilla haters because of the crown thank god this this is um a pushback this is 100 percent. they are going to another extreme because they saw how powerful the audience responded to season. You know, well, and I want to say like Morton and the book is, I would say the launching pad for the modern Diana we know. Right. Yes. So like the lead up after, so we've got Morton here who's like, I want to tell her story. I will even do it in a way where she can't be connected to it. She never talked to me. We just record cassettes. Right. Um, this launches Diana 2.0 and then we have an entire season that should have effectively built up the Diana that we will lose in season six that was beloved and instead we just get this like sulking in Kensington Palace woman that doesn't exist like it's it's just not it's was she was she heartbroken was she upset did did she wear a revenge dress yes all of these things right but all of these things within her very monumental power right? right um so well, and be, before this book, no one truly knew that there was cracks. This is the this is the problem of showing her being so loose lipped is that we're all like, oh, everyone's knowing now because she's telling everyone. And, and that's Charles the part, is telling what everyone. And that's the part that I've really been enjoying, like kind of some of these homages, like with Princess Margaret saying, you know, to the queen when she almost kills herself, like you paper over the cracks. And mm-hmm. I think the design art, you know, having a big crack behind all three of them, like the queen can't, well, she tries in a way, but this version of this queen, 
cannot paper over some of these cracks and we're really seeing them become more and more exposed. And it's becoming more mainstream. Like this is also the reason I think the divorce happened so freely in this year, this horrible year of the Royal family is because it's becoming mainstream. Like, you know, when during the time of Margaret, when she was about to wanting to fall in love with Peter Townsend and get married to him, like divorce was still such, so stigmatized. And in the nineties, alongside other social awarenesses and um, movements, divorce is becoming legitimized. And so it is a shift and the queen doesn't know how to handle it in that sense, because she would have been able to say, you're doing this for the crown and no, and she can't do that anymore because the public is readily divorcing in ways and drones and um, the church is making exceptions and all of this stuff, which is fine. And is okay and necessary because that's just the way that move the things move but it does show that the cracking like you said john of that the queen can no longer patch over it in the ways that she used to by just relying on the weight of the crown yeah so we've got the morton book set up right and then we have two scenes that i think are important we've got philip hanging out with penny They're riding their carriages, right? But she lets something slip to Philip. She says, hey, there's rumors that Diana's writing a book. Like she's, or she's at least an accomplice in a book about her life, right? And then we get People are being asked to say something. Right. And then Morton, you know, in an exchange says, the reason I want to do this, yeah, sure, I'm going to be rich. But if she doesn't get her voice out there, she's going to be trampled and erased by this family, Right. And like he can't stand by and see a light diminish. I thought that was a really important thing. That was like super important. And then we transition to something that becomes a think a theme throughout this entire thing, but never given the gravitas it deserved, which is um, as Diana's recording these cassettes, she starts to have some strange experiences, white vans, clicks on the phone, and she starts to get really nervous. She's being um, she's being she's being tracked. She's being monitored. Controlled. She's being, yeah. 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 And we do know this to be true historically, because when. Very recently, um, I would say it was 2022, uh, Prince William came out against the Bashir interview. He spoke yes. of her mom, of his mom's mental health and thinking that she was like being followed and her paranoia having been instigated and planted as a seed by the media. Right. And, and, that, that Bash- that it- and Bashir relied in and did nefarious tactics to get her to mm-hmm. do the video interview that everyone right. knows as, as being famous, where she talks about the other there was three people in the marriage that the crown will never see her on the throne. I mean, a lot of things came out of that interview. And for anyone who's like, I mean, who's going to kill like the most powerful and famous woman in the world? Well, Charles. I mean, Philip, well, Charles, but Philip waltzes into Kensington Palace in a scene that is bonkers for the way but, that- Wait, it- be- before we say that, can we also mention that in her inner, in her audios, they do ask a question of like, why are you doing this? And Diana, in a- which they do stay true to this is that she does say that she's tried everything Yes, that she has gone to her husband and all he wants to talk about is Camilla. She's gone to the queen and the queen just basically does nothing and says, well, it's your marriage and do what you have to do. Um, That she's been dismissed that people will never understand all of the things that she's had to endure, that she's had to give up, that she's had to, um, 
you know, handle because of her husband not showing up in their marriage and then basically destroying her and all of her things. And that was the impetus of this interview. So there is the kernel of you feel empathetic and wanting to be in her corner because you know why she's doing it. And then when Philip shows up, it's a whole different scene. Well, I mean, like, it's the second time we've seen it because we saw it in the final episode of season four where he pretty much does an open threat. And I know for some folks are like, that's not a threat. And I'm like, hey, look, if you come to me and I'm in distress and I'm telling you that I'm not happy, I don't feel safe. Right. And you're like, get your shit together or else that or else is heavy. Yeah, it's heavy. Right. And like, I think like, you know, you've got Philip telling Diana, like, hey, like, you know, do what you need to do. Like, make your arrangements, aka have your affairs. I don't give a shit, right? But it cannot reflect on the monarchy. It cannot reflect on the queen. And it cannot eventually reflect on Charles. And right? it can't so, be out in public. Right. Just do this. Have the wonderful life that you want to have in a closet, right? Which and the 90s feels... was not a time to put someone in a closet. Right. Right. In all ways, shapes, and forms. Literally. Um, and I feel like it's almost like... A- I was watching it and I was like, honey, Philip, this is the conversation you need to be having with your own damn son. Like, it's not Diana that's doing all of this. It's your son who's off gallivanting with his little mistress and is doing things that is damning. Like, she's not doing, she's doing her duty. She's going and working that pavement. Like, nobody had been in that family for years. And she and didn't, she, we know Diana cheated, but she didn't cheat until she was absolutely positive that there was no saving her marriage, that her husband was not even looking at her. And it was like years into the marriage. Right. And who, right. and the, the people that found out were the, it was Charles's people that brought yeah. it to the public that she was having affairs with the sergeant and the doctor and that they were smuggling. Mean I Harry's mean, father. she was <laughs> potentially. Um, She's in her 20s and had been literally confined to being only a breeding uh, human, right? She just needed to occasionally get pregnant. And, like, other than that, she was expected to just swallow a life of, like, not only celibacy, but, like, accepted second rate, right? And so she's doing the things, but it's Charles that's living out on his own estate that he brings his mistress to. And everyone knows it in that region that that's what's happening. And yet... I will say, like, when you think about it, right, like, what is worse than setting someone up to be so isolated, they'll seek comfort anywhere, and then using that moment of vulnerability as the weapon by which you take them down? 100%. It's so gross. It's so gross. And again, I just want to, like, she was a 20, like, she was like 24, 25, right? Like, just, I mean, so unimaginably young. Um, And I will say, I really like the scene that follows Philip being like, um, uh, you mess with my family, we mess with you, which is he's telling Elizabeth what he did very proudly. He's like, I told her to go fuck off in, in the dark, right? And you have Elizabeth have this really human moment of like, eh, that's not that, what marriage is. <laughs> that's 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 like really shitty advice. And also she's like and, pot kettle, like hello, like where have exactly, you been? It is whole- such a good moment of getting that insight of Elizabeth having that moment that like that's how her husband's lived 
And I right. think that's a humiliating scene. It's humiliating and I appreciated it. It was one of the few times Philip hit for me, which is that Philip is so far up his ass that he did not think how that would land with Elizabeth. Not the queen, but with Elizabeth, his with wife. Elizabeth, yes. Well, that there's right? always a scene in every like season where like she looks at him and is like, hey, don't forget, you're still a fucking whore. Right. Well, and like when Elizabeth's like, you know what? Good night. I'm I'm out. Like that was shitty advice. I hope she doesn't follow it. I hope they just figure their shit out. Good night. Right. He's sitting there and he's like, what happened? What did I do? Right. right. And it's just so humiliating and infuriating. Right. But I and think again, that's because I think that's also where like Philip, um, they they do get a lot of it wrong because we know from the tapes, we know from her interview with Bashir, we know from her personal diaries, we know from the expose from her butler that Philip was Diana's like number one supporter in that. He was mad about her. I and think he was, we don't get that. And he was 100% like it, uh, it almost broke for a long time, him and Charles, because he could not understand why Charles chose Camilla over Diana. And he was very vocal about that. Well, um, and I've listened, I've like, I've listened to the Morton book a, a bunch of times. I really love the audio book. And um, even, is it uh, Tina Brown's book as well, talks about, it wasn't that he thought she was beautiful. It's that like, he had a major soft spot for the girls in this family. And that like, he just loved her spirit. He loved who she was. And it, it is rumored that it really hurt his relationship with Charles. 100%. And then we also know that the queen was really close with Fergie, like absurdly yes. close with Fergie, right? And like, again, we have this isolation of everyone that I think Peter Morgan just honestly thinks they all live like Sims in this house where there's no relationship, right? So like, of course, it's weird that Philip walks in and is like, go be a hoe in the dark and and keep it to yourself. That's what I've done. Cool. Bye. Right. Uh, also, I'll kill you if you fuck this up. Right. I think right. it's just it's so it's so removed from what makes following royal stories the best type of trash because they're messy and human. They have gotten it wrong and right. And like it just doesn't read. But I will say Elizabeth being like pissed off at Philip was one of the more human moments of the episode for me. Yeah. Um, and. I think, and, too, I think we're supposed to pick up on the fact that she's starting to get a little uncomfortable with how often he's hanging out with Penny. Or that or that he's he's becoming more vocal in, hey, I'm doing these things, but I'm I'm here to support you, boo. <laughs> like, right. Like, don't right. worry about it. When you when you need me, I'll be here. But any other time I'm going to be off with with my hobbies and my joys and my my loves of my life, which aren't you. Right. And the episode closes right with Morton releasing the book. It's a huge success. Right. Um, and the royal family is in crisis. And, you know, we get some scenes of the of of news anchors being like, where does the royal family go from here? What do we do? Right. And uh, we know fundamentally that, like, this is the first shots in a war. Right. Yeah. Uh, does the winter war is coming it? for 100 percent. Right. Like winter 100%. is coming. Does the war live up to it? We're going to find out in the next eight episodes. Right. But we do know that this episode lands and ends on the shots have been fired like the dark and the revelations of of diana so in the if they do mention that um she when she was four months pregnant with william threw herself down the stairs in a in a um an attempt and how the show shows it is that and presents it is that it was a suicide attempt but if you listen to the morton attempts what she says is she threw herself down the stairs to get the attention of her husband yes 
She and never that, uses the word suicide. It was never a suicide attempt. It was, this was the only thing I could do to get him to focus on me. And that that moment, the queen was incredibly um, worried. Everyone was worried except Charles. Yeah. And so this is, and it, it belittles the desperation of Diana. And then it makes it seem like she's just this unhinged, mentally unstable, morose figure that will never toe the line, which is in, defi- in defiance of what we know is true. Well, and, and I mean, I think if it- we're really following historical precedent to throw yourself down the stairs carrying the heir to the throne, treason, again. Yes. Not only treason, but of, of the utmost, like, most abhorrible things you could do. She right? slipped. If you play, if she you- slipped. She slipped. Um, and if you play it to what we know has happened in the last five years in regards to what was happening during um, Harry and Meghan and the mental crises that Meghan was experiencing while she was pregnant with their first child yep. and yep. the apathy and the um, hardness of the royal family to respond to another crisis of a pregnant woman is so damning that no matter how much Morgan is writing to make it an apologetic and an uplifting of Charles, it will never stand up because of the realities of in 2022, what they have done to Harry and Meghan. And I think that's a good place for us to kind of close out this episode. I wanted to ask each of you, like, Watching this, I keep wondering what it must feel like to watch it as the children of Charles and Diana. And, like, I'll be honest. Like, I'm of two minds on this, right? I'm a consumer of pop culture. I'm going to watch this. Um, I'm complicit in whatever harm it is creating for for Harry and William. And I feel conflicted about that. Um, Because this is – to have a a, a horrible childhood, right, is tough enough and creates lasting trauma in a human being, right? Right. To then have to relive your trauma over and over and over again. And I think specifically on Harry, it's not that I don't have sympathy for William. I do. Um, I think if if the last five years has shown us anything is that my sympathy should lie with the one who Diana had sympathy with, which was Harry, who she literally put money aside because she was like, they're going to eat him alive. Right. Before she knew any of what was to come and could have possibly known. But I just think how traumatizing it must be to see it lived through your wife, lived through your children. And then to have to watch the whole world relive it to then have to enter the zeitgeist again, right? Has to be super, super traumatizing in this moment. And like, I'm hyper aware that Harry and Meghan have, you know, a six figure million dollar uh, business deal with Netflix and that they can't possibly speak out or say anything. But I just want to put that to voice that I'm not unaware of it. And I'm not, I'm not necessarily comfortable with how I consume this media, though here I am. How about you all? I mean, I'm here for it. I mean, it, it, it's it's in the zeitgeist. It's it's available. It's consumable. And frankly, like it's like being an elected. You don't read the comments. You don't read the press. Like you don't know, read when I when I talk shit about you, John. No, you <laughs> never read the comments. I mean, and I think that with this episode, with this season, with everything, I definitely think there's been some control exerted by or onto the creative team from people higher up. I'm a a conspiracy theorist in that way. But what I do think is that ultimately 
this show is trying to amp i do agree with you it is trying to amplify charles i i'm not i do love elizabeth debecky's depiction of diana in a way i'm only a couple episodes in so we'll see as the season goes on but ultimately pop culture is consumed by us who worship it <laughs> in many ways and it's you know it's the risk and the reward for when you are in society like that yeah about I you? Would, close this out i would say there's a couple things um am i thrilled that the social media aspect and newer generations are coming into the full-on hate of charles and camilla 100 percent. am i loving the fact that um princess diana's memory in any way that is being picked up by people that watch the show is being remembered um Yes, I absolutely am here for it because she is a figure that needs to be talked about till the day is dead. Um, because what she has done for the queer community, what she has done for AIDS, what she has done for the Commonwealth of um, the British Kingdom, it's unmeasurable what she has done to our world and our humanity and our compassion and our empathy. And that any person, no matter status, no matter their position, no matter how much that the world is pressing upon them, can still be agents of good, I think is um, something that we always need to be focused on. Am I also aware that this is a damning, um, problematic, traumatizing um, element that potentially also is a vehicle for um, production and maintenance of colonialization and imperialism yes um but it's is it my cup of tea yes so there it's we are damn good yes right, exactly so that actually i think sums up really nicely these first two episodes um we'll be covering the rest of the season going forward we have a lot to look forward to two fayette episodes one romanoff episode not enough Diana. There's a lot to cover here. Oh, and, and we get to get um, the Duchess and Duke of Windsor. Right. The fallen right. King. Mean, Peter Morgan could not be bothered to tell Diana's story where there were so many other threads to pull in. Yeah. Um, it's going to be a fun season. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a fanatic. I know all of their history. So that was a big, a big kind of throwaway gift for me but i was like we didn't need the story but there's a lot to come in the rest of the season and and you'll be here with us for the rest of the season right yes i will all right y'all watch then out watch out episodes two or episodes three and four coming to you soon <laughs>